Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 18. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and, dis- and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God for it It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to, et- to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning, and uh, we beg that you would send your spirit to tend uh, to these words and make them land in our hearts. Uh, we thank you uh, for hard words because they do make hearts soft. And uh, Lord, we need our hearts softened that we might receive what you have for us. So, Lord, do your work now, we ask, whether that's for the first time in our lives or for the millionth time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of uh, the favorite themes of the Gospel of Luke, something that Luke draws attention to again and again, is the theme of the kingdom of God. And if you're new to the Christian faith, uh, the kingdom of God basically is the reign of God that brings healing to this world. And it's embedded in the whole story of Scripture, which is God made us to live under his rule and reign, but we wanted to be kings and queens on our own. And it brought ruin and it brought corruption into all of life. But God has promised that he's going to heal all that through the reestablishment of his reign. And that is what is meant by the coming of God's kingdom. Now, if you're really, really new to the Christian faith, I'm going to give you an even easier way to understand this. If you've seen the movie, The Lion King, you understand the biblical pictures of kingdom. Remember when Uncle Scar was on the throne? What did the world look like? Evil Uncle Scar, under his reign, there's elephant carcasses everywhere. Uh, The land is a howling wasteland. There's hyenas gnawing away at everything. It's absolutely awful. But when the rightful king, Simba, ascends the throne, what do we find? We find feasting and dancing and laughter and celebration and harmony. And this is the image that God gives his people of what it will be like 
when his reign is fully manifest. The coming of the kingdom of God was the great hope of Israel. That's what they were looking forward to. And the Jewish people of Jesus' day, they referred to the coming of the kingdom as the age to come. And they also told that age to come eternal life. And that's really important because we find all of this language, the kingdom, the age to come, eternal life, in the two stories that we're, we're looking at this morning. And when that age to come arrives, evil's going to be eradicated. Everything will be new and fresh and free and, you know, all the decay and corruption will be gone forever. But this is the remarkable and puzzling thing about Jesus' ministry is that he said in his presence, the age to come had arrived. That age to come was invading the present evil age. And we get hints and signs of foretastes of that all over the place. That's what the miracle's about. That's what the teachings are about, to reorder the lives of his people under God's reign. It is the kingdom crackling through into the old world. And it raises important questions. Like who belongs to this kingdom? Who's in and who's out? And over and over again, we see in Jesus' ministry that the kingdom that he is bringing, it involves a reversal of expectations. And the examples keep piling up in the Gospel of Luke. And the shock is actually intensifying. Think about it. All the way back in chapter 7, it was the prostitute who wept at Jesus' feet, not the Pharisee who was inheriting the kingdom. It was the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, not the attractive and savvy and put together in chapter 14, who are dining with Jesus in the kingdom. It was the rebellious younger brother and not the moral overachieving older brother that comes home into the father's house for the party in chapter 15. And then we looked at two weeks ago when Iron uh, taught on the passage previous to this. It's the mercy-hungry tax collector and not the self-congratulating Pharisee that inherits the kingdom. This is the inside-out, upside-down theology of the kingdom in the Gospel of Luke. And this morning, we're looking at two stories from Jesus' ministry that are linked together by a common theme. And you guess what that theme is? It's the kingdom of God. Two times in the story of Jesus and the little of children, we get language about the kingdom. And then at least three times in the story of the rich young ruler, we get language of the kingdom. And in these two stories, we see once again that Jesus is engaging two very different types of people. That on the one hand, we have penniless and powerless children who come to him. And then on the other hand, we have an affluent and powerful rich man who walks away from him. And that juxtaposition is not accidental. Luke has carefully arranged his materials. And here's a big idea for us that we can't miss. That Jesus' ministry and the church's mission is not just to the powerful, but to the powerless. And the powerless seem to get it much more easily. Now, Luke has given a careful attention to this theme all along. And these two stories, I think they shed tremendous light on those questions we, we raised at the beginning. Who, who belongs? Who's in? Who's out? And how do you know? And I just want to say a word about that for a second because some of us stumble here because we're like, oh, this sounds so exclusive, you know? Christianity, this is what I hate about it. This is why uh, I walked away from it and this is why I'm not coming again. But I, I, just, I just want you to consider this, that everybody is excluding always in some way, in some fashion. 
It's inevitable. We say in our hearts, it's the nice, not the nasty. It's the tolerant, not the bigot. It's the peaceful, it's not the violent. And almost every major world religion boils down to something like this. Do good, be good, and you're in. Don't, and you're out. But Christianity actually comes with something fresh and new. And it says, with that, going that way, it's impossible. No one makes it. And so I want to look at three things this morning. And uh, I want to move through these two passages uh, together. And I think Luke intentionally brings them together. And then take a look at what comes after uh, to help situate all this. And the first thing I want us to notice is this. Is the kingdom, God's kingdom, is for the littlest and the least. So this first story, we have crowds of people gathering around Jesus. And it says that some of them are parents and they're bringing their little ones. And Luke makes it clear that this included even infants. So you have parents bringing their babies and their toddlers, and they want Jesus to bless their children. In in Judaism at that time, a blessing was given uh, by elders and scribes on the Day of Atonement. And so something significant is being symbolized here in this moment by parents bringing their children to Jesus and wanting him to bless them. But then something interesting happens. The disciples interrupt and they say, hey, y'all, knock it off. Don't bother the master. It says says the disciples rebuke the parents. Why why in the world do they rebuke parents for this? And it's interesting when you read commentators about this. Some are like, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, he's he's had a long day. You know, they're going to make sure, you know, boundaries are properly set. You know, he doesn't get too tired and worn out. Um, Others are saying, like, he's probably getting a little bit out of hand. So we need to do some crowd control, everything in order. Good Presbyterians, you know. Um, But at the very least, we can know this. That in this moment, for some reason, they thought Jesus was too important to waste his time on unimportant people. And that's exactly how children were regarded in the ancient world. But Jesus rebukes the disciples. And he says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I just want to make a couple of observations about this real quick. That on the one hand, Jesus is saying something very significant about the value of children. That they matter. And they actually matter immensely. That the kingdom is for them. So if we were making a mixtape of the gospel of Luke, we can add, right, the littlest and least to these other themes that he said is that the kingdom is for the last and it's for the lost. And now he says it is for the littlest and the least. And you know, this is important for us to hear in our culture because much like the ancient world, you know, we dote over our children and we want to invest in our children. We want to give them a good life. But really, when it comes to who's valuable in society, it's those who make the most contribution. Those who are most powerful and influential. Those who have the most potential to make an impact. But Jesus says, let the children come. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. And, and if I could just say this um, as an aside, I think it's a dangerous thing when the church starts to fixate on attracting leaders and people with great potential and not focusing on the littlest and the least or those who are least regarded. You know, this is why we take vows as a congregation when we baptize children, because it's a protest 
that says these little lives matter. And yet, they may not be contributing much right now, but to such belongs the kingdom of God. And we as a congregation make promises in God's presence that we're going to come alongside parents and we are going to love and we are going to embrace these little ones. The kingdom belongs to such as these. Jesus is highlighting the value of children. But on the other hand, and, and just as importantly, Jesus is actually using this moment, using these children as a picture to, to tell us something about kingdom membership. Because what he says in verse 17 is this, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, you have to receive it like a child. Now, this is really fun. What particular childlike quality does Jesus have in mind? And uh, you, you'll hear sometimes people say, like, children, you got to be as innocent as a child. And I'm like, do you have children? You obviously don't, right? And they're like, no, it's their humility. And I'm like, once again, <laughs> we're talking real children here, okay? He's not being sentimental. He doesn't say anything about their wholehearted trust, you know? He doesn't say anything about the purity of their faith. He's using them as an example of weakness and helplessness. Children have no money, no possessions, no position, no power. They have no accomplishments, no successes, no clout, no influence. And Jesus says, there's your role model for entering my kingdom. Children show the way into the kingdom. And you know what that way is? Dependent, empty-handed, and statusless. Because the kingdom, Jesus says, is received. It's not earned. Now, perhaps you don't consider yourself a VIP, a very important person in society. And you know what? This is, this is really good news. Because Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter. That's not how my kingdom operates. The kingdom is for the littlest and the least. For the people who have nothing. The people who aren't big important. The people who don't have something great to show. Or something awesome to contribute that dazzles everyone. Jesus has his eye out for you. And he loves you. But perhaps you do consider yourself a very important person. <laughs> I mean, you go to Stanford, right? You're a CEO. You have tons of money. You have tons of talent. You have tons of intelligence. Is the kingdom for the big and important people like me? And this is leading us to the second thing. And you know what Jesus' answer is? Not until it cuts you down to size. The kingdom is for the littlest and least. But the kingdom cuts us down to size. You know, you know that phrase, cut someone down to size? You know, it, so, it, sounds, uh, it sounds mean. Um, but it, if you think about it, cutting someone down to size is really about deflating someone's exaggerated sense of self-worth. And this is the point of this next story that Luke tells us. The story commonly known as the story of the rich young ruler. You know what this story is? It's a story of a pretty good guy doing pretty well. And I'd say that there's a more, more than a few of us like that in this congregation. And Jesus cuts him and all of us down to size. Now, in this second story, um, he's encountering a very wealthy man. And we're going to look at that in a second. But I just want to say a word about wealth in the first century, much like ours, right, gives you clout and significance. It says that you were powerful and important. 
It, it, it made you uh, a VIP. And it's interesting that the closer Jesus gets to Jerusalem and his death, the more he starts talking about money. Have you noticed this as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke? Chapter 12, we have the parable of the rich fool. Chapter 16, we have the, the story of the crafty steward. And then also in 16, we have the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, here this morning, we have the rich young ruler. In a couple weeks, we'll be talking about Zacchaeus, the very wealthy tax collector. And then in chapter 19, also we have the parable of the ten minus. Jesus is talking more and more about money. But it's important to say, this is about more than money. It is about the deepest loves that have us by the heart. So I want to look at this story and this encounter that uh, Jesus has with, with this man. And look at how the kingdom cuts us down to size. So what do we know about this guy, right? Well, he's the proverbial man who had everything going for him. We're told in verse 18 he's a ruler, which meant he was probably a Roman or a Jewish official. So he had power. Verse uh, 23, when he walks away sad, we're told that he's sad because he was extremely rich, which basically means he's filthy rich. And he has a lot of social clout and influence. Matthew's gospel adds that he was young, so he's in the prime of his life. And this is the important one. By all accounts, he was, a, he was a really good guy. You can't say without shame, like, I've kept all the commandments. Unless externally, like, you're squeaky clean. And you have this sense of, like, I'm doing pretty well. I'm pretty good, and I'm doing pretty well. There's no reason to think he's blatantly lying. He has a good, he has a good rep, right? No rap sheet on him. But this man who has kind of everything going for him is still searching for something. And he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, I've been watching you. I've been listening to you. And I have a question. What am I missing? What do I need to do do in order to be sure that I have eternal life? You know, on the outside, he looks completely put together. But on the inside, he feels an aching need. He's plagued by some kind of deep insecurity or an emptiness. Maybe even a self-doubt. And I I would say that's not uncommon. I don't know how many times I have conversations like this. with, with people who attend our church, uh, they come in and, you know, th- there's this, this ache inside them. They're like, I look around and all these people, it's like their lives are going so well, they can't possibly understand what I'm going through. And I'm just like, I wish you could see it from my side because I know what's going on in your lives, you know? And if like we could all just see for a second that insecurity that comes even when we're pretty good guys and girls and doing pretty well, that there's this ache, that there's this longing, there's this insecurity, that we're being gnawed away at from the inside. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel that lack. Maybe you're, you feel like you're missing something. And you're looked at as a person who has life all figured out, but deep down, you know you don't. Jesus has just finished wrapping his arms around some babies and saying that you've got to receive the kingdom of God like a little child if you want to enter it. And this man wants to know more, and he says, so what can I do to know? And uh, that's great, right? He's a doer. Diagnose a problem, fix it. We all understand that. Here is a big and important person coming to Jesus with questions. And this is what's so fascinating about how Jesus interacts with him. Is that he goes back to some basics. The first basic is he says, hey, can we just press pause for a second? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And you have to ask, like, why is Jesus doing that? Well, I think he, he wants this very good guy, to begin to ask some questions about his standards of goodness. What is the standard of goodness by which 
you are measuring goodness. God alone is good. Unique, holy, righteous, 200 proof goodness. And then he moves into the basics of the Ten Commandments. Well, if you want to do something to inherit life, you know the commandments, don't you? And he rattles off the last five, basically. And, you know, that's a, this is a very, like, common uh, conversation that Jesus would have. We saw it back in Luke chapter 10 when uh, he's telling the story of the Good Samaritan when that lawyer asks him a very similar thing. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, obey the commandments. If you want, if you want a program to perform, here you go. It's yours. And this is what's so telling about this is the man's immediate response is, okay, check, I've done it. What else you got for me? So in some ways, this guy's like a 20-year-old, 28-year-old professional in Silicon Valley who's you know, on the partnership track. He's made his millions, but he's seeking out a life coach to say like, what, what else do I need here? You know, something's missing from my spiritual portfolio and I'm gonna go after it and I'm gonna get it. But in other ways, he's like a college freshman. You know the college freshman who asks a question of the teacher and then the teacher gives them the answer and they're like, that's right. <laughs> exactly, you know? Or the way we say it in, in church sometimes is you ask a question and, you know, the response is given, you go, that's a good reminder. In other words, like, I already knew that, you know? <clears throat> so he says, yeah, I knew that. I've done all that. And then Jesus knocks the breath out of him. He says, there's one thing you lack. I want you to sell all you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. Jesus was like a master of judo, okay? This man, you know, who's feeling insecure, and you have to ask why, right? He's a pretty good guy who's doing pretty well. But then when he gets the answer, he says, I've done that. His weight shifts forward self-confidently. And then Jesus flips him over on his back. And there he is gasping for air. And we have to say, hold on a second. Jesus just told him to sell everything and give it to the poor. Is that the ethic of the kingdom? Is, is that what Jesus asks of us? Is that what we should walk away with here? And it's fascinating because this is the only time Jesus says this, this thing, this directly to anyone in the Gospels. So you have to say, what is going on here? What is Jesus up to? And this is what Jesus is up to. Jesus is cutting him down to size. He's revealing the man's heart to himself. You see, he's setting him up. He's bringing him to the ends of himself. He says, okay, you've kept all the commandments. Great. Um, Let's do a little review. Let's start with the first. You should have no other gods before me. Why don't you take this massive amount of wealth that you have and give it all away to the poor and then come follow me? Look, there's a lot of ways in which we don't see ourselves rightly. And uh, one of the ways that we don't see ourselves rightly is when we try to find our security in our goodness. It actually creates a profound insecurity in us. And we, os- we oscillate back and forth between pride, I've done it, and insecurity. What, what else do I need to do? I don't feel stable. I don't feel confident. And there's all sorts of things in our life not just money, that get to the center of our hearts and they grab hold of us. And they're the things that we are terrified of letting go of because somehow we think our security is found in them. Jesus 
in his loving way, often rips back the curtain, right, of our church-going, rule-keeping lives to expose us. And one of the things he challenges us about is our ultimate securities and our dreams. Maybe it's not wealth for you. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's your attractiveness. Maybe it's your intelligence. Maybe it's an over-attachment to a relationship that you have or career or the American dream, right? It could be anything. But because Jesus loves us, he will conduct an intervention in our lives because we all have spiritual blind spots. And this, this is the thing is that it's, it's not the secret sleazy sins that are the most dangerous to us. Because those are obvious to us and they bring shame into our lives, right? It is those things that we cling to to make us feel safe and secure or big and important that get us. And when this man hears Jesus' words, it says that he was grieved. He was crushed in spirit because he hadn't counted on the fact that that might be the thing that was getting in the way of him really having confident in the, confidence in the Father's love and security in the kingdom of God. It's like the guy's been climbing up this mountain, working his tail off, looking for that last step, and Jesus says, you've been on the wrong road the whole time. You know, I think we should talk about wealth, even though this can apply to more than wealth, but we should talk about wealth because the wealthy, over and over again, Jesus tells us, are in danger of self-reliance. It's difficult for those of us who are wealthy, and really on a global scale, that's every single one of us, to cast ourselves on the mercy of God as our greatest hope and our greatest security because we feel like, now, I think I can do some things myself. Jesus says a little humorous illustration here. He says how hard it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It's actually easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Jesus had a sense of humor. He's using this to cut this man down to size. Now, you know, you might hear sometimes you're like, well, in the ancient world, there was this gate, you know, outside of Jerusalem that was called the eye of the needle or something. And it was really hard for camels to get through. They had to get down, humble themselves and crawl through. And it's like, Actually, no, there's not, you know. And other people talk about camel thread. Have you ever heard this one, you know, that there's a thread called camel thread? And so he's saying, you know, camel thread's pretty thick. It's difficult to get to. But you know what Jesus says at the end of this? He says, with man, this is impossible. Not with man, this is really hard. But with God's help, you can do it. He says impossible, as impossible as a camel getting through the eye of a needle. Wealth can shrink the door of the kingdom down to the size of an impassable people, like trying to get an SUV into an ATM slot. That's how Jesus might say it today. And the disciples are rightly shocked. If this guy, who's a pretty good guy, doing pretty well, can't be saved, who on earth can? Do you know what question they're asking? They're saying, if he's out, who's in? Who's in? That's the question. And Jesus doesn't back down or explain away. With man, a dunata, not possible. With God, dunata, possible. You know, Christianity is utterly different than we often think. Because we want to squeeze it into the mold of do good, be good, and it will go good for you. And Jesus says, it's not what my kingdom is like. 
And that's not how it comes. Because it is possible to, in some sense, have it all together, at least appear that way, and then walk away grieved when Jesus starts doing real business with your heart. And if I could just say anything plainly this morning, a little bit of Christianity won't help you at all. A little bit of Christianity won't help. You need it all. And one of the things we need is the message of Jesus' kingdom to cut us down to size. And we don't earn it. We don't get it. We don't inherit it by doing goodness. Salvation is always a miracle of God's grace. No one can save themselves. God must do the saving. God must do the changing. With man, a dunata. Not possible. With God, dunata. Jesus is driving this man and hopefully every one of us to the end of ourselves. Everything we have, everything we are must be questioned in light of God's kingdom. Our fiercest loyalties, our most treasured assets, financial, personal, moral, reevaluated in the light of his kingdom. And the thing is, the more you have going for you, the harder it is to see your need. The higher you score on the culture scoreboard, the more impossible it feels to be desperate for grace. The closer Jesus gets to that thing or those things that you're building your life on, the more outlandish it seems to forsake it all and follow him. Feel me? Jesus is cutting us down to size. And the thing is, is he's doing this because he loves us and he wants us to receive. I'm going to turn to this in just a second. But the point about this, this story of this man is he could not part with his money because his money played too big a part for him. And that might not be money for you, but it, it might be something. Maybe money isn't your thing, but what is it for you? What is that thing that you could not possibly conceive of parting with, could not live without? Jesus is putting his finger on that. And he's saying, that has you by the heart. That's the thing that's getting in the way. And I want to get that out because I want to get my kingdom in. You know, it's at this point that, uh, that Peter speaks up, which is uh, pretty par for the course in the Gospels that uh, Peter opens mouth and starts talking. And uh, it's, it's amazing what he says because he's understanding in some sense the implications that, uh, of Jesus' words, right? Forsake everything to follow Jesus, right? Put everything in second place to God and his kingdom. And he says, Jesus, we have left our homes and followed you, you know? And it's interesting because Jesus doesn't like, he doesn't be like, Peter, duh, you're, you're not getting what, what's going on here. He actually he ends with some encouraging math. And this is what he says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more, get this, in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Do you know what Jesus is trying to get us to understand? Is that you cannot outgive God. Whatever you give up for the sake of following Jesus, for the sake of his kingdom, you get many times more in this time and in the age to come. Some of you have hurt your career because of your decision to follow Jesus. Some of you have been excluded from your family because of your loyalty to Jesus and his kingdom. Some of you are living a costly obedience. Because you love Jesus. And Jesus says, you're not only going to be received into God's gracious presence forever when the kingdom fully comes. You're going to receive many times more now than you have given up. Trust me in this. Trust me in this. But I want to ask a question. Jesus says, with man, a dunata, 
With God, dunata. With man, none of this is possible. But with God, this is possible. So how does God make the impossible possible? You see, there's a story of another rich man that the Bible tells. As rich as you could possibly imagine. And he gives up everything for the poor and the destitute and the needy and the broken. He gives up everything for the ones that he loved. And his name was Jesus. The next passage in the Gospel of Luke, which we'll look at next week, Jesus begins talking about his death. And it's the third time. Jesus, as he draws close to Jerusalem, starts talking a lot more about money. And then he starts talking about his death. And you know why? Because it is through Jesus' death that God gets camels through eyes of needles. He does what is impossible. And that is take you and I and our own imagined goodness and begin to cut us down to size and then sew us through the needle on the thread of Jesus' death. That's how it's for the littlest and the least. And that's how the big and important come to receive it and inherit it is when you come destitute, statusless, empty-handed, and say, God, you have to do this for me. And he says, look at my son. And you know what his promise is? Romans 8. He says, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously give you all things? That's Paul's version of Jesus' words here. Of No matter what you've left or had to give up or forsake for the sake of following Jesus and his kingdom, you get many times more. Not only in the life to come, but now. Because you get to experience the life of the kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we, we are grateful um, that you speak directly into our lives and into our hearts. Uh, because our hearts are filled with all sorts of things uh, that, that take hold of us. And uh, are directing us. And in which we're hoping in. Uh, But your kingdom comes crashing through and cuts us down to size. But it also speaks that tender word when we discover that we're the littlest and the least and the last and the lost, that it is by your grace and it's through the death and the resurrection of your son uh, that we enter into the kingdom and that we receive it. So Lord, would you help us be a people who uh, feed on that love that we've received in Jesus and uh, find that love satisfying Uh, not only as individuals, but together as a community, and that that would lead us to be a people who can give our stuff away uh, for the sake of others. Um, We desperately need you to do this work in our hearts because by ourselves this is impossible, but with you it is possible, and we thank you uh, for the death and resurrection of Jesus, which makes that so. We ask this in his name. Amen.